0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by MoFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org.
2: I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food. We are the podcast for K through 12 nutrition professionals and anyone else who wants to join our in-depth exploration of topics in school food. I am Laura Stanley, and uh, wow, it is late September already. So the news in school food has been piling up all summer. So it's high time we dug in. Um, today we return to smart snacks, specifically new research from the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity on the impacts of certain branded foods in schools. As many of you know, popular snacks like Doritos and Pop-Tarts and Rice Krispie Treats have been reformulated to meet the USDA's smart snack nutrition standards for snack foods that are sold at school or during school hours. Um, The rules call for lower sodium, fats, sugar, and calories than you find in versions of these same foods sold in stores. Um, Grain content must be at least 51% whole grain. Um, These snacks are sold as before, um, uh, many of them in vending machines, uh, also in school stores, and a la carte, alongside reimbursable meals in the cafeteria. So many have questioned whether Flamin' Hot Cheetos can ever be healthy, whole grain rich or not. And others say, yeah, we know how this looks, but food culture change is a process, and this is a step in the right direction. So enter this new study, the first of its kind. Um, It was published in the Journal of Child Obesity last month, and its outcomes suggest that these so-called copycat foods in schools are highly problematic. Um, I'm going to leave it to today's guest to tell you why. Um, Dr. Jennifer Harris is the lead author of the study, um, and at the Rudd Center, her research focuses on the impacts that food marketing has on youth. Um, And what I find particularly interesting about Jennifer's work is that it's informed by her 18 years as an executive and consultant in consumer marketing. Before she entered academia, she began her career as a Wharton School MBA. Uh, Faith uh, Boninger is a leading voice in the national conversation about the commercialization of childhood. Uh, She is based at the National Policy Institute. Uh, sorry, the National Education Policy Center at the University of Colorado, Colorado um, in, in a unit called Commercialization in Education Research. Um, and I got to know Faith's work through her very riveting book, um, which was published last year. I recommend it highly. It's called Sold Out How Marketing in School Threatens Children's Well Being and Undermines Their Education. So, Jennifer and Faith, welcome.
3: Thank you. Great to be here.
2: Um, So, Jennifer, before we unpack the content of your study, I think we should be clear that not all smart snacks are copycats, right?
3: Right. What we looked at was the products that are specifically packaged to look similar to the less healthy versions that are available on store shelves.
2: Right. So there's lots, you know, if you look at, for instance, USDA infographic about smart snacks, they um, suggest smart snacks that are things that are whole foods, like fruits, nuts, and yogurt. And these things can be branded, too. But you're looking, as you say, at things that look like um, what we would call junk food seen in stores. Um, And then just to fast forward to the study's uh, conclusions before we dig in, what is the problem with copycats that your study uncovered?
3: The main problem with these copycat snacks is that kids can't tell the difference between them and the products they're buying in the stores. So the products sold in schools have better nutrition, more whole grain, less sugar, fat, or, or, you know, some improvement over the version in the stores. Um, but But the ones in the stores do not, so they can't tell which ones are healthy or not. Um, they're also marketed the unhealthy virgins are also marketed to kids in the media on TV and social media um, and so the products that they're seeing in the schools they they think are the same as the ones that are being marketed
2: right and they they don't look a lot different which we'll talk about more yes. later yeah and then there's just an issue with um, what the parents are perceiving when they see these things being sold in school like how does that affect their idea about school food service?
3: Well, the parents um, have a hard time telling the difference as well, and when they see the copycat product sold in schools, they think it means the school is less concerned about their kids' health and well-being.
2: Right. Um, so we, I know these aren't sold exclusively in vending machines, but you talk a lot about vending machines in the study. Um, and, and Faith, you have written a lot about the presence of school the school vending machine as a marketing tool. Do you, do you want to just comment on that? Yeah, well you know
4: a vending machine sells product, but it's also I mean if you see one in a school it it's a big thing you know with um, with kind of like the equivalent of billboard on all sides and there have been some studies done about the numbers of vending machines in schools, and it's something like an average of 20. in in a typical high school, these two studies that were done in California and Maryland. So we've got a lot of them, and they're big, and they're, you know, advertisements on the three sides, and they're also dispensing the product, which is then being dispersed around the school, which is also, at some level, advertising, because it's always mentioning the brand and keeping the brand in front of the
2: kids. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I did a little research into vending machines in school, and I found out that, it goes. Their presence in schools goes back to the 1950s, and even then, when they first appeared, they were attracting controversy. So this isn't new, but certainly um, they're a whole lot more prevalent, as you say. Those are those are pretty um, big numbers. Um, I should also add, though, that school vending is in flux, and and we can you know see a lot of change for the better, um, including things like apples and yogurt in vending machines and even um, reimbursable meals that are freshly prepared that are vended. Um, but, Jennifer, you observe in your study that, that this so-called healthy vending isn't what we're mostly seeing in schools at this point. Is that right?
3: Well, I don't know that anyone has been has done the numbers to actually evaluate the vending machine. But what we're hearing anecdotally from parents who've worked really hard to get the, the better products, uh, snack food products into the schools is that the vending machine looks a lot like it didn't, like it used to look with Cheetos and Doritos and pop tarts um, and not the yogurt and apples and nuts and things that they were hoping would actually be sold in schools.
2: Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, l- let's look at the study in more detail. Um, I don't know how you want to tackle this. Like, who 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 did you work with for starters?
3: Um, well, we did a, an experiment, so we um, used respondents um, who were available through online panels. We talked to kids who were 13 years and older, and then we talked to parents of middle schoolers. So, these would be the we we figured that the parents of the middle school um, students had more say in what they were buying in schools, um, while the parents of the high school students probably weren't much involved with mm-hmm, <laughs> what their mm-hmm. their kids were buying. Um, and we we showed them um, one of four different sets of products sold in schools, and one. Um, what we call our control condition, where the products that are um, healthy, that are only that where the same product is available in both schools and stores. Um, then, in the other three conditions, we looked at the, what the copycat snack. So we included either the version that is available in stores, a version the version that's available in schools, which. Um, if you compare the packaging side by side, the two look very similar. Um, and then we created our own package for the same products to make them clearly look different and focus on the um, on the nutrition, the improved nutrition for the school products.
2: And what were you? Asking them about let, let's you know so let, let's leave aside the first one you mentioned, which is the healthy yeah. item that's the same either place. But in case in the case of the copycats yeah. um, versus the original, uh, what were you asking them to weigh in on about? Well, yeah,
3: we asked them to tell us um, how healthy the product was. We asked them to tell us how much they thought they would like the taste. We asked them have you ever seen this product in your school? Have you ever seen this product in a store? Um, and then we asked them what they think of a school that sells these products. Mm-hmm. And um, basically what we found is their answers were the same for the copycat and the um, and the product sold in, in, in stores. They c- couldn't tell the difference between the two. Um, interesting, when we – we tested the study the first time we saw this, and so we thought, well, what if we put these two products side by side? Can they tell the difference? And even then they had trouble telling. Wow. That they were different products.
2: Wow. Even though they might say whole grain or lower fat on the
3: Well, they package. say it, but in very, very small, not very noticeable type. So can you... Like
2: select out one of the products that... Because you you went through a lot of trouble. You actually came up with a third version of packaging for the Smart Snacks version. So tell us how the three, you know, the original formula, the copycat formula, and then your redesign differ in terms of the packaging.
3: Okay. Well, um, you know, everyone loves Cheetos, so I can I'll use that as the example. (laughs) Um, The and and we use the same um, hot, a uh, flaming hot Cheetos flavor um, that is available in schools. There's a um, and in the stores the um, flaming hot Cheetos that are available in schools have a little logo that, that says RF on it, which stands for reduced fat. How, so when you
2: say little, how you, little is that? Pardon? How little is that RF?
3: Um, well, it was, I guess, about an inch. Mm-hmm. But it was blend. But you see the Chester Cheeto um, image and the, you know, flaming hot Im- imagery um, in much more prominently than than this RF. Mm-hmm. The colors are are almost identical. Um, so then, in the the version where we created the the separate product, we used slightly different colors. Uh, we included the Cheetos and the Chester Cheeto, but um, but it was uh, and reduced. We put reduced fat across the top so that everyone could see that it was reduced fat.
2: And. And the kids in particular, just looking at the packaging, anticipated that the contents of your redesigned package would be less tasty yes. than the contents of the copycat
1: uh, yeah. package.
2: <laughs> what does that say about the effect on, that packaging has on our expectations and in even our actual experience when we eat something that's in the package?
3: Yeah, it's... Um there's a lot of research showing that expectations dictate actual, perce- actual taste perceptions when you, when you try a product. Um, you know, this is one reason a lot of companies do what they call stealth reformulation, where they reduce the sodium or reduce the sugar but don't advertise it, because if they advertise it, then their loyal customers will be upset because they're changing their product if they don't advertise it what they find is that and they make the changes gradually people don't even notice
2: yes yes we've actually talked about that on that show that's so interesting and then um I, i just you know you we spoke earlier about what parents come to feel about um their kids schools when these things are sold i mean and I, I know this is speculation because you didn't look at this exactly in your study, but I would think that um, it would undermine trust in the um, in the in the food program, and, and particularly millennial parents may be less inclined to sign their kids up for school lunch if if they see these things there and associate it with oh, it's not as healthy as what I might pack.
3: Well, it I think it hurts schools' credibility because. You know, if they're talking a lot about how they're now offering healthy snacks to kids, and then the the parents see they're still offering Cheetos and Pop Tarts, it you know it makes the it it, w- it seems like it would make the parents wonder really what you know how how concerned are they you know what are the other change you know are the other changes really that healthy too?
2: Yeah, yeah, and then and then what about um, kind of credibility of nutrition curriculum in a school where these things are sold.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it would be hard for them to tell kids that they shouldn't be eating junk food when the, or it makes it difficult to, to teach kids that they shouldn't be eating junk food when they're selling it.
2: Faith, <laughs> do you want to weigh in on that? <laughs>
3: yeah, actually, I was thinking that that
4: it's a problem generally. I mean, if you think about the school it's not only the classes that teach kids right it's also the environment what they're what they're learning from the people around them what they're doing and what they're learning about from what the school presents to them not in class and so nutrition curricula i think are at are in jeopardy in any case because if if a school is is selling foods that are unhealthy The child is learning that those unhealthy foods are acceptable to the school.
3: Right,
2: right. And and I should point out that um, you know uh, school food, um, you know the reimbursable meals programs um, doesn't typically profit from vending machine sales. So um, there are reasons schools have it's you know fundraising, it's this and that, but. They might not have control, but it is something that, you know, is potentially of concern to them as well as to, um, you know, people who are promoting healthy eating in the classroom. Um, So um, I'd like to take a break here. And when we come back, I'd like to ask um, both of you about food marketing to adolescents in particular. Um, You're listening to Inside School Food. Please stay with us.
1: And this is a song called Love It by our former intern, Malcolm. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the museum of food and drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network, and we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened Mofad Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing flavor, making it and faking it. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami, and the Willy Wonka inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFAD Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org.
2: Welcome back. We've been talking about a new study that looks at the impacts of copycat snack foods and copycat snack food packaging in schools. The study focuses on adolescents in part because they're the ones with the pocket change and the independence to buy snacks at school. Uh, More important, um, both of our guests today share deep concern over the ethics of food marketing to older kids. Um, Younger children are somewhat more insulated, at least when it comes to TV advertising. Um, Faith, could could you just kind of briefly explain what that protection amounts to with kids? I guess it's under the age of 12, right?
4: Well, the CFBAI is, um, um, is for children under the age of 12. So that applies to elementary school students. Um, so that will protect them against a lot of advertising, but not necessarily not necessarily everything, um, such as that, you know, in elementary schools it doesn't cover food-related fundraising and donations to school.
2: Right. Um, when you said CFBAI, that's the Children's Food and Beveraging, be, sorry, Beverage Advertising Initiative. That's a mouthful. And it is um, a voluntary program um, that many major food processors participate in. Um, but it, yes, and that's a good thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know
4: Margot Wu who uh, uh, I forget exactly what her position is, but she is um, at um,
2: Center for uh, Science in the Public what Interest. that is,
4: Jennifer, I'm forgetting the. Center for Science and the Public Interest. Yes, Center for Science and the Public Interest. You know, she works a lot on this, and she's pointed out that companies that are part of CFBAI have much more specific advertising policies, and they're a lot easier to work with. Um, so, CFBAI is a good thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't cover everything, and it only covers elementary schools. So, middle schools and high schools are, you know, kind of fair game.
2: Yeah, and that's. Um as a, as a mother of a former adolescent, I find that surprising um and you both feel that we should be just as concerned about older kids or or maybe even more concerned um who wants to weigh on that Jennifer, do you want you want to start with that
3: sure um well, I think th- that any parent of a middle schooler will realize that uh, that that person that that child um, is not really um able to make decisions about their health and well-being on their own. Um, you know the the older the one of the biggest issues with the older children is that the companies because they've made these pledges about what they'll do for children under 12 have shifted a lot of their advertising to this slightly older audience and um Basically, uh, they they say that a 12 year old is fair game for any kind of um, food advertising. So, um, and and they've increased their the amount they aim at the kids. They've um, they've also at this age also the kids have their own spending money. They can go to the store, go to the fast food restaurant on their own, and purchase the products that the companies are advertising to them, the parents have less say over what they're they're buying, and um, this is also the age when children's diet gets really bad. <laughs> so, you know, elementary school kids have much better diets than middle school kids. So for all of those reasons, and, and also because, um, you know, the adolescent's brain is still developing, they don't... They don't really have the ability to re- resist the um, temptations that they they see, and because of their stage and their development, they actually are are less able to resist um, those, especially when peers are involved um, than younger children.
2: Yeah, and and you know the title of today's episode is smart snacks and sneaky snacks, and I think especially now um, marketing to adolescents is. Sneakier, because um, it can be embedded in entertainment and social media and so forth. So it's you know, as adults, we know all about that, right? Um, but kids are less adolescents are less um, prepared to recognize it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And the social media, you know, really takes advantage of their peers because if someone likes a product on Facebook, say, or or Instagram, then their friends see that, and their friends starting get, getting the same posts, even if their fr- friends don't like that product. So, you know, if you see your friend like something, that will make you like it even more.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Faith, I wonder if you could help us kind of look at this, um, you know, what Jennifer's talking about as well as just the copy Cat food strategy, in context, there there is widespread commercialization um, throughout middle schools and high schools, um, especially with regard to food. I know you've written a whole book about this, but you know, mm-hmm. maybe just kind of to give us some high points, uh, or maybe I should say low points, um, mm-hmm. about what it looks like.
4: So one thing that I that I want to point out is that you know everything that Jennifer said is very true about the adolescents not being able to make adult decisions, you know, because of where they are developmentally, um, you know, in their brain development and their reliance on peers and so forth. But the other thing that goes on in schools is that even an adult in that situation would be influenced by the food marketing. I mean, just imagine a kid is there or even that you're there, and it seems like your teachers and your administration, who you respect at some level, are promoting these foods to you. You know, it, it, becomes, it becomes a situation of the, the school environment, not just having them there, you know, but actually promoting them in the eyes of the students.
2: Yeah, one, one example I remember from your book is, is um, a Sunny D. Sunny D is a, a, a sh- mainly sugar orange Flavored drink that is a stand-in for orange juice, um, mm-hmm. and they 've got some kind of a book drive program. Can you describe how that works because teachers of course are interested in getting their kids reading and they need access to money for books. so how does that work
4: um, yeah that was I'm pretty sure that was where if the the children would have um and then this is very common this kind of thing you know you bring back um, proofs of purchase and then you trade them in for books um, so it it all it always seems like a good idea when a food company is promoting reading or um, promoting um, critical thinking or anything that that sounds really educational um but what they're also doing in in every situation is promoting themselves and so with sunny d you have to be careful about that with um chick-fil-a um with panda express those companies promote Um, uh, character education programs, you know, it's partially maybe that they care about developing character education in school. But the other thing that's going on is that the program is always branded and they're always promoting the product that, that they have to sell.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you also I I wrote down so many things as I was reading your book, but that you there was one comment that really stuck with me. And it was like something you said about marketing at school as a violation of trust. And I quote, you said, "Um, parents and students tend to regard school as a source of authoritative information. Um, And since they do, advertising and marketing in school carries a legitimacy that it would not have in any other marketing venue."
4: Wow! I wrote that, huh? Yeah, you true. did. It really hit me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's totally true. I mean, don't we tell your kids to tell our kids to respect the teacher, mm-hmm. and we hold the teacher up as a model for the kids? Mm-hmm. And so then, when the teacher appears to be selling Coca-Cola or Sunny D or um, Chick Fil A, well, then you know it is a violation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And-
4: And I think a lot of teachers feel that way about um, the McTeacher Nights, you know, where they're asked to go to a McDonald's after school, you know, for a certain night where the kids and their families are encouraged to come in and buy McDonald's from their teachers. You know, then they feel like they're being used to promote McDonald's, which they don't believe in, to the students. And that's that's a violation of, of them as well, you know.
2: Yeah, so the, the the teachers are actually behind the counter at McDonald's on McTeacher Nights.
4: Yes, <laughs> okay. yes, and that's a it's a pretty popular thing.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, um, if you could just quickly talk about this Together Counts curriculum because I know it's something you're particularly exercised about. It's quite interesting.
4: I know it so frustrates me. Um, so Together Counts is a pro- it's a product of the um, Healthy Weight Commitment Foundation, which is a It's a very interesting organization because it's really led by food companies. I mean, if you look online at the board of directors, you'll see that it's all kinds of major food companies. And if you look, they've got a list of partners, you know, that are um, partners in this foundation that are all kinds of nonprofits and, you know, well-meaning kinds of organizations together with a lot of leading um, food companies. And what this organization does is it promotes a curriculum um, and also tries to work with parents and children as well and homeschooling parents, but it promotes this notion of um, calories in, calories out, Mm -hmm. and balance. And, you know, there's something to that, right? I mean, we all need to be responsible for our food choices, but what it does is it focuses solely on that and leaves and kind of direct the onus completely on the individual, as opposed to offering that there is also the aspect of what food companies are responsible for producing and marketing in our society.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and calories and, in, calories out kind of helps legitimize potato chips because you're just counting the calories?
4: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, when, when there's a curriculum in school that's being taught by the teacher, it's being taught as fact. Right? I mean the teacher's up there, you know, sharing the lesson and it's not presenting it as the opinion of the food industry, right? Mm-hmm. Calories in, calories out is the opinion of the food industry and it's something that they're very committed to and I can understand that because of the nature of their business, but it's not fact. You know, there are there are other perspectives on how how food works, mm-hmm. right? And so what's being transmitted to the kids is that opinion as fact, not that opinion as opinion and their propaganda.
2: Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, Well, so, just you know, lastly, we're talking about adolescent vulnerability, um, but teens are also really feisty and defiant, and I mean that in a good way. It's really healthy and necessary. Um, And you've both looked at a new study that suggests that their natural – Rebelliousness might be channeled um, into resistance of cynical junk food marketing. What do you think of this idea um, maybe I th- faith want to start with you
4: sure i mean I think that if if
2: kids are made aware
4: adolescents we 're talking about if adolescents are made aware of how they're, how they 're targeted and used by the food industry, I think they 'd be very angry
2: mm-hmm. you know and I,
4: I think they would. Rebel against that. Yeah, they don't. They don't really understand when they, you know, and they pass along some viral video that it was created in order to go viral, you know, created to be something that would tickle them and they'd send to all their friends and then it's advertisement. But if they knew that, I don't think they'd do it. Yeah. Yeah. You, See,
3: I actually, we've been trying to, um, we've been talking with a lot of kids and trying to figure out how to, how to. Start this kind of movement, and unfortunately, what we're finding is that there's a lot of ambivalence because they love these products. They love them, you know. They love Cheetos. They love Skittles. They love the the products that are being advertised to them. And it's and and you know because of the advertising that they've seen since they're they're they were small, the, and all the emotional messages used in those ads. It's really hard to. Get them. We're finding that it's it's difficult to get them angry. I mean, this study did it by um, getting them to think about what companies were doing to other to younger kids. So that might be an approach that could help.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a new study and it needs um, you know next steps. But I did post a link to an article about it on today's show page, um, and we'll be following. Its progress on Inside School Food. Um, and that show page is insideschoolfood.com. And you will also find there links um, to the study, of course, um, at, that we're talking about today, and links to both Faith and Jennifer's work. There's a lot of material up there today. Um, and if you go to insideschoolfood.com, you can also sign up for our newsletter and our news feeds on Facebook and Twitter. And you can subscribe to the show on your mobile device and never miss an episode. Um, so, Dr. Jennifer Harris and Dr. Faith Boninger, um, thank you so much for this great conversation. Um, let's hear it for smarter, smart snacks. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Uh, my thanks also today's, to today's sound engineer, David Tatishore. Uh Inside School Food is a production of the listener-supported Heritage Radio Network. To do your part, go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart. I'm Laura Stanley. Thanks for listening.